Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Philippians chapter 3, and we're only going to get through three verses tonight, 12, 13, and 14. And um, I'll read these out loud for us, and you guys can just follow along on your notes, okay? So, this is Paul talking to the believers in Philippi. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Point number one in your notes. The grace to forget. The grace to forget. <clears throat> now, last week, um, if you missed a message from last week, you can go catch it on the podcast. But last week, we talked about how none of us earn, none of us earn any, um, any brownie points for salvation through obeying the law or following the rules or doing all the good stuff that, we're, that we think we should do as, you know, following the Jesus rules and all that kind of stuff. Salvation is through faith alone, and it's by his grace alone that we get it. We cannot earn it. We saw, um, and, and the reason I bring that up again this week is because Paul is talking about last week how he has, um, he has been completely immersed in the law. He wasn't just up to his neck. He was over his head. He was... Um, he talked about being circumcised on the eighth day. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was in the middle of all of the, the rules and regulations. He was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees had the staunchest, highest standards for people following the rules and following all the law in, um, uh, in that time period. And so he was in the middle of all of it, and he compared that to garbage. That's a sanitized version. If you want to know what it really means, catch the podcast from last week. Went to some vivid description on that one. But he compares it to garbage when he looks at all of the works that he did, all of the rules that he kept versus the faith that he has in Christ. And so what he's saying here on the heels of this, it could very easily sound like he's saying, oh man, I got it together. I, I, I forsook all the rules. I, I, I washed the law away and now I'm straight, you know, in, in faith with Jesus and we are all good. It could seem like he's saying that I have reached this plateau, but he reminds us here in this passage, he reminds us, I have not achieved perfection. And if he is the apostle Paul, who wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, and he's saying that he came out of an old way of thinking, and he has not yet achieved perfection. It's going to be a life goal for him. That should be some comfort for all of us in the room, at least it is for me, when I have to say, I am not perfect. I have not achieved perfection. If the Apostle Paul didn't get it, I'm probably, there's probably a low chance I'm about to get it, right? So we can all be comfortable in the fact that all of us have some type of gap, some type of, uh, of thing that we are overcoming to try to attain the perfection that Christ lays out for us. <clears throat> that should be putting you at ease. But he makes a statement here in this passage. He says, um, forgetting the past 
and looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, when I think of the word forget, I think of something pretty minimal, right? Like, I forgot where I put my keys and it made me late for work. Or, you know, I, I forgot that I, um, I put my keys down where my niece could grab them and run off with them. I forgot where I put the Roku remote because she grabbed that and hid that in my house. And I still haven't found it um, <clears throat> from one of our TVs. And so, when I, oh, man, I got to do that. I forgot to grab milk. I got all the other things in the store except for milk. And that's what I needed to make whatever I was making. And when you think forgetting... For me, when I picture that, I, I picture it kind of like a small thing, like forgetting, like, um, or when someone says, you know, I hate when church people say this, I hate this. Like when you're going through something and you're struggling, they, they say the whole churchy phrase, let go and let God. I'm like, I want to let go of this right now. You know what I mean? And let God figure it out afterwards, huh? Yeah. Stop with all that nonsense. Because what does that actually mean? Let go and let God. And so, but there, there is a little bit of a let go thing that I think of when I see the word forget, like just kind of let it go. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to let it go out of my memory. And every time I hear that, I think, let it go, let it go. <laughs> Sorry to all you parents who have little kids who've heard that 9 million times in the last, you know, two years since that movie's been released. But it, they kind of just let the balloon go and it flies up and we're like, okay, it's forgotten. And we just move on. It's kind of this passive thing when I think of the word forgetting. But this is not, that, that word is not passive how Paul is using it. That word forgetting, which I cannot pronounce in the original language, so I wrote the big long word that starts with an E in your notes for you. It has three definitions. And that original word forgetting just doesn't mean to just kind of let it go out of your mind. Here's what it means. First line in your notes there, or next line in your notes. Neglecting no longer caring for and given to oblivion. Neglecting, no longer caring for <clears throat> and given to, over to oblivion. When you look at that, I want you to, uh, to notice that it doesn't say no longer caring about. It says no longer caring for. The word doesn't mean forget as in, I'm never going to think about it again. This word forgetting means um, not to care for it anymore. Not to maintain it. Forgetting the past. Do not maintain the past. Do not care for the things in the past. I, um, when I was a, a, a younger man, younger than I am now, um, uh, don't laugh. Um, when I was a younger man, I first moved out of, out of my parents' house and got on my own as I graduated high school. I worked at a place in Panama City, Florida called Cooper's Drugs. Now, Cooper's Drugs had two sides. One of it was a pharmacy, and the other side of it was a florist. And he would... He was, he was kind of a morbidly sick, you know, genius idea, right? Because he would give medicine to all the people who were waning down in their life. And then when they died, you could buy flowers from the same place. And I can't tell how many people I did that for. I would take medicine to them. And then, you know, several years later, be like, or several months later, be like, oh, here's a flower, <laughs> you know, because they had passed on. Um, but so I'm delivering, I'm delivering flowers and medicine um, for this company, Cooper's Drugs. And so one of the main accounts they had, it was my second day there, one of the main accounts they had was a nursing home. <clears throat> and so they would pile these bags of, 
uh, full of medicine. And there were specific dosages and amounts to every single person. And so um, they said, hey, go drop this off at the nursing home. So I got an address, and there's no GPS. We had a map. If you don't know what that is, you're a child. No, just go to the store and ask for a map if there's even one there. Go on eBay. I'm sure there's one there. You can have a map. It's a paper. And so I had to use this map to figure out how to get to... Um, the nursing home. And so I finally get there and I walk in the main door and the main door doesn't bring you to an office or a receptionist or anything nice. It brings you to this long corridor to the left and to the right. Big old long corridor. And so I'm just lost. And this is pre-cell phone days, right? So I can't call somebody and ask them where to go. I'm not shooting somebody a text or an email. I'm just got to figure this out. So I'm just sitting there and I'm like, all right, well, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I'm going to the left. And so I went to the left and went around this corner and and found a nurse's station. I'm like, yes, success. The only problem was there was no nurse at the nurse's station. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of looking around and looking down these hallways with these rooms on either side. And there's a hallway this way with rooms on either side. And I don't know if I should call out, be like, hello. You know, I don't know who's going to respond. You know, I'm just looking for some sign of what I'm supposed to do. And so I set these bags down on the counter, and I kind of lean forward, and I'm trying to put my plan together. Like, do I just start walking up and down these rooms and looking in there? I don't want to do that because I'm not sure what I'm going to see, right? Like, so I'm, how do I find this nurse? And then to my utter shock and surprise, a hand reaches up behind me and grabs my right butt cheek and squeezes. And I was like, what? And just my luck, that's when the nurse walks out of the room to see me get goosed by an older lady in a wheelchair. She straight grabbed my behind. And I was like, hey, what in the world is going on? And the nurse just comes around the corner. First time I've ever met her. She's like, <laughs> she's just laughing, you know, and she's like, oh, I see you met Sally. And I'm like, apparently, we're really close now, I guess. <laughs> and so I look at Sally and I'm like, hey, and she's barely moving herself, you know, down the, down the hallway in a wheelchair with her hand like this. For months that I worked there, every time I walked in, she walks like this, pretty boy pretty boy. And so I just went to the other side of the place and walked a long way around to avoid Sally from goosing me every time I went in there. And so I'm sitting there and the nurses are, are after they're laughing at me every time I walk in there, you're the one who got, Sally got you on the behind. I'm like, yeah, 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 that's me. I have a name. And so they're, uh, they're opening up the bag and they're going through and meticulously checking the, the, um, uh, the medicine. Make sure it's the right dosage, the right amounts, and the, 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 how much they need for the next time they order and all this stuff. And they're, they, the, 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 there's just long hallways. It's just very sterile, long hallways in every direction. And there's rooms on either side. And as I was sitting there looking at these people, I would hear some people call out, and they would drop every, the nurse would drop everything and run to their aid. And I thought, man, what kind of commitment it takes for these nurses to love life enough to be able to help nurse these people along every single day who have all of these ailments that can't take care of themselves. And as I was getting ready and I was reading this and seeing this word forgetting, 
I wondered how many of us have a nursing home in our heart. I wonder how many of us have a long hallway with rooms on either side, and in the rooms we keep a past hurt. In the next room we keep an old mindset. In the next room we keep a bitter disappointment. In the room across the hall we keep something tragic that we don't want to get over, we can't get over. And I wonder how many of us walk the corridors of those of those hallways in our heart and maintain those old, destructive, hurtful mindsets. I wonder how many of us play the role of the nurse. Not in a, in, in a real life scenario, caring for someone's life, but we are actually nursing regrets so that they stay alive in us. I wonder how many of us are maintaining the old mindset, maintaining the old wound, maintaining those words that were said to us, maintaining the things that we should let die, but we are so comfortable with them being around, we have allowed them to affect our identity. Some of us have been hurt so bad by one of the things we're keeping alive in one of those rooms, it has affected and impacted every decision we've made since that point. We have made sure to nurse these things and keep them alive. We wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is check on them. Throughout the day, we feed them with what? Energy, effort, oxygen. When we give them thoughts, we maintain them being alive in our heart. We're nursing them back to health. And at the end of the day, when we're mad and we're angry and we're frustrated about things that have transpired in our life or we're mad about the way things used to be or the things that I used to do I don't do anymore or the things that I built collapsed and now I'm left with nothing or whatever it is, at the end of the day, that regret fuels those things to maintain residence in us. When he's saying forgetting, he's not saying forget about. He's saying stop caring for it. Stop maintaining it. Stop giving those old hurts, those old things, the life that you have to keep them alive. I know we're used to them. I know it's kind of set us, um, given us a little bit of an attitude. This is how I survive because this happened to me, and I can't forget that. I know we've kept them around so long, it's almost, I don't know who I am without this old mindset, without this old face, without this old idea, without this old effort, without this old wound. I don't know who I am without that because I have allowed my identity and everything I am to be wrapped up and defined by what I'm keeping alive in the nursing home of my heart. How much effort, energy, creativity, thought, time 
are we giving to keep those things alive? Paul is saying, I could do that. I have put the law in one room. I have put my Pharisee responsibilities in another room. I have done all the different rules that I possibly I could follow. I have done all of those things. And I could be one that says, I want to keep those things alive, but I'm going to let all of them die. I'm not going to maintain these regrets anymore. I'm going to let them die. If you're at odds with somebody in your family, it's time to let it die. If you have hurt from something that happened in your past, months, years ago, or whatever, time to let it die. You got something inside of you that has defined you, that has happened, that has been terrible. I am so sorry that happened to you. Let it die so it doesn't take another day of your life. Why do we forget? Next line in your notes. We forget so we are free to run forward and look ahead to what God is calling us to. Let's keep going in your notes. Forgetting the past also doesn't mean we discard the lessons we learned from those experiences. It does mean we need to stop being preoccupied with them. Forgetting those things that are behind me. Stop caring for them or maintaining them or giving them what they need to live in our hearts. <clears throat> so the reason we do that is because after a while, those things will build and breed bitterness in us and regret. <clears throat> so I apologize to the video guys, but I'm going to drive them nuts here real quick. I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little illustration here. So, uh, Jill, will you come help me real quick? Just real fast. Will you come help me? <clears throat> Did I see Darius back there? Is he back there somewhere? So you thought you could hide. Come and help. Come, come and help me out real quick, real quick. All right. All right, Rihanna, will you come help me real fast, please? You don't have to say anything. I promise. You just have to stand in the position. And I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need one more. Brian, will you come help me real fast, please? Thank you. Thank you. Junior had his head down like, don't look at me, Matthew. Don't look at me. <clears throat> okay. So, Darius, can you come stand over here for me, okay? In this illustration, you're going to be the Lord. Yes. You're going to be the Lord. <laughs> his mom's laughing the hardest on that one. I don't understand why. Okay. So, Jill and Rihanna, you guys are going to stand next to him, okay? And then, Brian, I want you to stay here. And then just turn your back to him. Just face this direction. So, here's what's happening. When we are preoccupied with all of the things from our past, but the Lord is calling us in a direction towards him, it's going to be impossible to see when he sends something our way. 
Brian is here working in the nursing home of his heart. He's keeping these things alive that should be dead. And even though he hears the Lord calling him, he doesn't know what to do because he's maintaining, he's allowing these things. He's not forgetting. He's continuing to care for all of these things that are preoccupied his hands. And then the Lord sends, okay, send Jill down here. Okay. So the Lord sends something right here for Brian. I don't know what this is. It could be an opportunity. It could be a job. It could be something tangible. It could be a relationship. It could be whatever that, 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 that Brian is needing at this point. And he is supposed to be receiving this. But because his back is turned, he misses it until it's passed him by. And the reason that he can know it's passed him by is because it gets far enough past him where he can go, Oh, man, that's the opportunity I wanted. And then he turns back to the Lord and says, I wish you would send me an opportunity like that. Yet he goes back to maintaining everything from the past. And the Lord answers his prayer and sends another thing his way. And he misses it because he has not forgotten the past. Paul is telling us, forget, stop maintaining the past, and turn and walk towards the prize. Okay? Turn back around real quick. <laughs> if you put on a blue sash, I'm never using you again. Okay. Um, so with the Lord calling him this direction... Okay. He is filled with all the things from his past and all of the things that he's missed. He can see he's filled with regret. If you walk with regret, it's like trying to walk forwards, backwards. It's the next line in your notes. Regret is like trying to walk forwards, backwards. Thank you, guys. Give our people a hand real quick. <clears throat> I should probably tell him I'm doing that in the future, but it's less interesting that way. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Point number two in your notes. Forward attention. Forward attention. <clears throat> and into that scripture, Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. What is the heavenly prize that he's mentioning in verse 14? He says to let the past go, stop feeding that, stop letting that live in us. He tells us a direction to look, and that's in the, the direction of the Lord. But what is the heavenly prize that he's talking about? The heavenly prize, let's read this. Acts 17, 27 through 28. His purpose, this is God's purpose, was for the nation to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. 
So the goal, the heavenly prize, is given to us by God through Jesus Christ. What was given to all of the world through Jesus? Salvation. Next line in your notes. The prize is salvation. A relationship with the creator, a life of purpose, and an eternity with God Almighty. The prize is salvation. What are you saved from? Anybody? You're, you're, I'm sorry? Yourself? Is that what you said? You saved from yourself? What else are you saved from? Death, hell. You are saved from those things. That's why we use the term saved, salvation, from eternity, away from God. You are saved from death, hell, the grave. You're saved from yourself. You are saved. You have a relationship with the creator, a life of purpose, and an eternity with God Almighty. That is the heavenly prize that's awaiting us. So, next line in your notes. Believers in Christ should keep the heavenly prize in focus every day and in every effort. Now, I'm not telling you to wake up in the morning and go, okay, got to keep the heavenly prize in focus. Here we go. Okay, what am I doing today? Keep the heavenly prize in focus. Nope. That's the old thing. That's the checklist. That's the old law. That's trying to earn brownie points with God so I can get bonuses or blessing points or whatever. I'm trying to earn all that with God. I'm trying to earn salvation. That's not what he's saying to do here. The heavenly prize is not something for you to go, oh, this has to be my new benchmark for my life. Oh, gosh. I got to try really hard to keep it in focus. No, 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 no. What are we doing? We're leaving all of that garbage behind, that all, that religion of self-help and self-effort that leads to self-salvation. All of that is garbage. We get up in the morning and we go, the God that I love who gave us everything for me, who doesn't need me, but offered me a way to be reconciled to him, presented a way for me to have a heavenly prize. And so when I get up today and when I'm going about my day, I need to think, is this leading me to a place where I can share the love of Christ and the gospel with other people so they can experience salvation? Is what I'm in the middle of right now, is it something that's going to fulfill the purpose that's within me? Is the thing that I'm about to partake in, the job opportunity I'm about to accept or deny, all of these things, is it going to fulfill the the heavenly prize that's for me in my life? Does it fulfill that? All of the decisions we make need to be filtered through the gospel Why? Because this is what the gospel tells us. There's a heavenly prize waiting for us. And instead of getting up and being like, oh, got to do the thing today. No. No. Oh, I got to, I got to, um, I got to forget because that's what we do. We just let it go. I got to be the bigger person. Mm -mm. All that is the, the effort of self-help. You lovingly and compassionately from your heart, forgetting, letting it go, and turning your attention to remember the heavenly prize. 
is what Paul is challenging us to do here. Point number three in your notes. The race before us. The race before us. So when I think of race, I think of um, uh, Darius. He's a runner. He's, he ran several years long distance in cross country in high school. Um, did a lot of, a lot of cross country running. I think of the Olympics. I think of the uh, marathons, you know, through different major cities and in the states here. I think of all those mar- marathons. But um, Paul uses this race analogy, like running a race very specifically, and he does it multiple times throughout the New Testament, and this is one of them. This word, race, is actually the Greek word agon. Agon. It's there in your notes. And here's what agon means, okay? A contest, okay. It also means grueling conflict. Grueling conflict. Let's put that word, that definition of that word in the scripture real quick, and let me read it back to you, okay? I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the grueling contest and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. It changes the implication from, I'm running, I'm getting in shape to go in this contest and do the thing, right, and run, and people are going to cheer me on, there's going to be like a crowd, and yay, and people handing me water, and I break the ticker tape at the end or whatever, you know. No, it says, you are about to embark on something that is going to be grueling, but there's a prize, eternity with him at the end. So... Paul uses this this race metaphor, like running a race, a lot. And so what I did this week during my study is I I looked up and watched some interviews from some marathon runners. And they talked about a whole lot of things that they do to prepare and how to recover and what happens during the race and before and after the race. And I tried to look for some similar threads, and I found three things that all of these runners, they, they talk about a lot more than three things, but there's three things that seem to be consistent threads through all of these interviews that I watched with these people who do long-distance marathon running. And I think they're applicable for where we are and for the illustration that Paul has given us in Philippians chapter 3. So the first one of those three things that they talk about, that runners talk about, the next line in your notes, is diet. Diet. Runners pay attention to what they consume. Runners pay attention to what they consume. So there was a a woman named Shalane Flanagan. She won the New York City Marathon in 2017. She was the first U.S.-born American woman to win the race in more than 40 years. First one. She won the race at age 37. 37 is not old by any stretch of the imagination, right? That's not an old person, but 
in athlete in a, in a span of a athlete's lifetime, 37 is definitely towards the end. Like a lot of basketball players are now 36, 37 years old, and they're like, oh my gosh, you're my grandpa. You know what I mean? Like, I watched you when I was nine, you know, on television. You know, all these guys are playing now. But in a, the lifespan of an athlete, 37 is considered old or aging. But she wanted it 37. She sat down and did an interview, and they asked her a whole bunch of questions and then about how her running style and what she does and what she thinks about when she goes. And they got her to start talking about her diet because she started competitively running in high school and college. And here's what she said. In college, the runners had the idea, and she went to UNC, like a Division I high-achievement high university. In college, the runners had the idea that eating fat made you fat. So they only ate, quote unquote, low fat foods. But they didn't realize that those low fat foods they were consuming were full of sugar and processed materials. And so as a younger person who was running and trying to, to win these races, she had, to, as she, she had this incorrect view of what was good for her. When she started running, she had an incorrect view of what, should, what she should be consuming. But as she got older, she met with a dietitian, she met with a, 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 um, a chef, and they started telling her how these foods that she was eating as a younger person were negatively impacting her as a runner. So now she has replaced the sugar and processed foods with healthy fats. She just knew that there was fat before. She didn't understand the nuance or the difference. And here's what she said when they asked her about her diet. She said, I believe it has extended my running career. I would not be running at a high level if it wasn't for the fact I changed what I consumed. We could easily sit here and talk about the food that we consume, but I think the implication here is a lot deeper. What are we consuming that is impacting our run towards the heavenly prize negatively? What are we consuming? What did we used to think was good? What did we used to think was beneficial? What did we used to think was part of our routine that was actually helping it out? Oh, it didn't hurt, it didn't hurt me that much. It doesn't matter if I stay up late the night before the run. It doesn't matter if I run through McDonald's on the way to the race or whatever. You know, I'll just burn it off as I'm running not understanding that it's impacting the long-term goal. What are we consuming that is impacting the race that we should be running? Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, Paul lines us out pretty, pretty explicitly. He says this, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. 
They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure. They eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus, you have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. He is listing out here all of the things that you used to consume, that you used to think um, worked, all of the things that you used to think were beneficial for you. I just, I want to feel good right now, so I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to, I want to feel good right at this moment, so I'm going to pursue this this endeavor. I want um, to, I don't want to wait for this to happen or this to unfold, so I'm going to push forward as much as I can. I'm going to make all of this happen right now. I'm not going to wait for it to grow. I'm not waiting for God to open the door. I'm going to kick the door open. Whatever it is that applies to you, he is saying those are the things that we used to consume we used to consume these selfish ambitions these selfish lusts these selfish pleasures these selfish things and now cast all of that stuff off stop consuming it because it's impacting your race throw off all that other stuff stop eating the sugar and the processed garbage thinking that you're doing the right thing Pursue him and what he says and let our appetites change. Next line in your notes, believers in Christ need to be selective about what we consume. We need to be selective about what we consume. Next line in your notes, lust, impurity, and darkness will negatively impact our ability to run the race that God has set before us. Pressing on means we move ahead and progress closer to God, leaving all of the nonsense from our past behind us and are no longer consuming the things that we used to before we became believers in Jesus. Is there any appetite that is in any of us in this room that we say, I know better than to do that. I know better than to consume that. I know better than to act that way. I know better than to speak that way. I know better than to watch these things, to hear these things, to participate in these things, fill in the blank of whatever it is. Is there anything in us that you say, oh, that's that old appetite in me and I know it's wrong. Cast it off. Put your gaze on Christ and run the race towards him. There's another marathon runner that I that I listened to in an interview, and she, I think it had more than a million views and responses where she took questions because she's such an accomplished runner and marathoner from these people who run. And I had no idea that there was this massive subculture of runners. The last thing I want to do is run anywhere, especially a marathon, right? 26.3 miles or whatever it is. That's why God made cars. Do you have to go 26 miles? Just drive. All right, just drive, ride a bike, do something. Running is not what my big behind needs to be doing, right? Like I do not need to be running. But she started giving tips to all these people that were in this kind of subculture of runners. And someone asked her what her diet was right before she started to run. 
And here's what Des Linden, the marathon runner, said. Before running a marathon, I recommend, I recommend eating bland food. You want food for function, not for fun. You want food for function, not for fun. Why in the world is she saying, hey, all that spicy chorizo that you love on them tacos that you eat, Matt? Yeah, probably not a good idea before you run. All of the stuff that you want to have a flavor party on the tip of your tongue when you're eating it and you're like, yes, I love this food. I'm a foodie, if you can't tell. Um, the, I, I love this food. That's probably not what you want before you run. Why? Because runners understand that the temporary pleasure fades and it hinders them in their pursuit of the goal. Let me churchify this for you a little bit. There is a pleasure in sin for a season. And that for a season is really important because that for a season is typically a very short time right as it happens. And what sin never does, what sin never does is pull back the curtain and say, you do this now and look what it gets you later. What's behind door number three? It never does that. It only says, enjoy me now and forget what's down the road. And if you fall into that trap, you are going to bear the scars of those decisions. Are you saying I'm never going to have any fun? No. I'm saying that in the context of what God gives you, what he keeps you from is going to be a lot better than what you have to heal from. He can heal you both ways. He's God. He can do whatever he wants on that end. He's trying to give you a way to avoid it. We've got to change what we consume. The second thing um, that they talk about is, uh, the third thing, actually, um, that they talk about. Nope, second one, right? Second one. Physical endurance. Physical endurance. Runners understand that they will have to deal with pain. They will have to deal with pain. I listened to one runner who talked in a TED Talk who, um, who uh, by the age of 29, had the MBA degree, corner office, company car, massive salary, Silicon Valley, Fortune 500 job that he thinks that, you know, everybody says this is a success and achievement for you, and he hated it. On his 30th birthday, he ran um, from his party. All a bunch of him and his friends were drinking, and he decided, you know what, I haven't ran in a very long time. I used to run competitively in high school. I thought it was worthless, but I really want to run. So he decided, um... How far is somewhere to somewhere he realized it was about 30 miles? And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to run it. He said at about mile 25, the alcohol wore off. And he was like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Because he wasn't in the right shoes or the right clothing to run. But he completed the run. He, was in, he eventually abandoned all that stuff and realized that his passion for life was running. And he ran across Death Valley. And about halfway through the run, um, he felt his he felt his shoe stay in place on one of the steps because it was so hot it melted to the ground 
He had to kick his shoes off because he couldn't peel it off the off of the pavement, put on the backup pair of shoes that he wore to finish the race. He says one of the most hot, painful experiences he's ever had. Runners understand they will experience pain. That Greek word we talked about, agon, for race earlier, um, is the root word of our English word, agony. Ain't this fun? <laughs> agony. Yay! I'm going to run. There's going to be pain. It's going to be awesome. The reason that we have to make sure this is wildly clear, because our culture has presented the idea that if you come to church and you follow the rules and you do all the good stuff, then all the painful stuff goes away. That is a lie. I used to operate in my life that way. And when the pain hit me, and when I got blindsided, my family got blindsided, I had no recourse to even try to understand why would this even happen to me. I mean, I was doing all the right stuff. Believers in Christ should not be surprised when we experience pain. Next on your notes. Believers in Christ should not be surprised when we experience pain. Why? Let's look at the words of Jesus, John 13, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you might have many trials. There's a good chance you will have many trials. No, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. I want to be very clear to everybody in this room and everybody who will listen to this later or watch this later or is watching it now or whatever. If you ever hear the words that are coming out of my mouth later or now, I want you to understand this next line in your notes. Enduring sorrow and pain is part of the Christian walk. Why? Because it's part of life. Enduring sorrow and pain is the part of the Christian walk. But I want you to focus on, in that statement we just wrote down in the notes, what's the first word? Enduring. Why are you, how, why are you at an advantage as a believer in Christ when you experience suffering, loss, agony, or pain? It's because the Spirit of God who is your peace and is comfort, he is inside of you operating. Why are you at an advantage? Because the power of God to help you navigate through it and the God who can direct your steps to help you navigate through it is living inside of you. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is living and active in you. You can endure it. You have an extra help. You have an advantage. You have a higher help than anyone who is without God to endure to make it through, to have peace, to have direction. You've got an advantage over everybody else who has rejected the gospel because the Spirit of God lives inside you. I had the unfortunate um, opportunity to sit with some good friends of mine and Nina's recently who... um, 
buried their 19-year-old son. And as I sat at their kitchen table after the funeral was done and after the ceremony was done, they both are still in the process of recovering, and I can completely understand, but um, the wife in that couple looked at us and said, I don't know how people survive stuff like this without Jesus. I don't know how in the world you make it through, make sense of any of this stuff if you don't have Christ. And she was exactly right. She nailed it on the head. So what am I supposed to do with this suffering? What am I supposed to do if I experience pain? Paul addresses this in Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 18. Here's what he says. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the joy that, to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The suffering that we have now is nothing in comparison to the heavenly prize that Paul in Philippians is telling us to keep our focus on. All of this stuff hurts now. It will not hurt forever. Paul reminds us to keep the end goal, the heavenly prize, the glory that is to come as our focus, not as a point of religious rule following, but as the advantage of a believer in Christ to know that there is purpose and God makes meaning out of the meaningless. The third and last thing that the runners talked about, mental hurdles, mental hurdles. Runners have to overcome their own thoughts. I thought this was interesting. Runners have to overcome their own thoughts. Uh, we had, I had a friend who, um, um, she lives in Texas, and I haven't talked to her in a really long time, but when we lived there, um, she was a part of the group that went to church with us, and um, she decided that before she hit 30 years old, she was 20, she's about to turn 29, or she's about to turn, turn, turn 30, she wanted to visit every state in the United States. So it, she mapped out how long it was going to take her. She found this route that would run her through all these states and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, her big online thing was 50 by 30, 50 states by the time I'm 30, 50 by 30. And so she worked all these extra jobs and raised money and all this kind of stuff. And we're looking for sponsors and stuff to help her as she was going to take on this months-long journey before she hit 30 and had timed it out all perfectly where she has a birthday at the last you know, at, at the very end of it. And, and um, her name was Miriam. And um, she had $700 that she needed at the end to, um, to accomplish it. I think it was $700 somewhere. It was a few hundred bucks like that. And uh, she didn't, she exhausted all her other options except one thing. Um, she found somebody that would cut off her very long hair and buy it from her. And so she went, cut off her hair, got the rest of the money, and went on the trip. 
And there were those of us following her online, you know, checking in on her every once in a while, encouraging her and stuff. And after she was done, she came back and everyone was like, this is amazing. You accomplished it. You went to all these 50 states. You did all of this kind of stuff. Man, this is amazing. How are you feeling? And she goes, I'm so glad that I did it. She goes, but I wasn't prepared for the intense loneliness that I experienced chasing the goal. I thought about that when I heard that runners have to overcome their own thoughts while they're in the middle of the race. That marathon runner I talked about earlier, Des Linden, she said, um, when she was asked by someone, hey, man, how do you deal with all your, the thoughts you have when you're running? She's like, a half, a half mile of my own thoughts would drive me crazy. You know, 26 point whatever miles on a marathon. I'm going to be nuts by the, thing, the time it's over, just listening to myself over and over. And she gave a bunch of, um, a, a bunch of tools and tips to kind of make the time pass by. Um, but she was a little taken back at the beginning. Her reaction was kind of a little bit shocked when the person asked this question. And these are two of the things that she said run with friends or training partners and then enjoy being outside. It's one of the best things about running. We can have a tendency to overthink things in the middle of the race. But next sign in your notes, running the race God has set before us with others helps us overcome destructive thoughts. In short, don't run alone. Don't run alone. Run with people who are running in the same direction, with the same goal, with the same mindset, with the same mentality. Find those people who are looking at the heavenly prize. All of us are trying to attain it. We're not running against each other. We're not in competition. We are all trying to get the heavenly prize, which is eternity with Christ. Let's all run in that direction together. Those are the people you want to run with because at some point in time, the monotony and the grind of everyday life is going to overcome you. Why am I doing this? Where is the promise that I that, that I prayed and and I felt like was coming. Where is the breakthrough? Where is the open door? Where is the thing that I've been looking for this whole time? And you may have gotten yourself into that mental hole in a few hours of overthinking. And instead of being in a good rhythm, all of a sudden you're thinking, I'm behind and speed up and burn yourself out in the middle of the race. But if you're running with other people who are like-minded and you don't try to isolate and get by yourself, but you run with a training team, they can help you set your pace and encourage you to keep going even when there's pain. Don't run alone. The last thing that she said about enjoy being outside, it's one of the best things about running. She talked about the environment that you're in. If you're running in Colorado, you're at the base of these giant rocky mountains. It's gorgeous. If you're running across Death Valley, you see things that are that you're not going to see when the mountains are there. If you're running through the woods, you're not going to see the same things as you would if you're running on the streets of New York. All of these atmospheres enjoy where you are. And it's the last line of your notes is this, is enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the run. Enjoy the race. And I would like to tell you that I am a person who enjoys the journey. But I would be lying. 
I'm the person who wants to do all the prep work before we get on the airplane. Everybody's packed. We've weighed the bags. We get there. It's a quick amount of the time. Everybody gets on. I fall asleep before we take off. I wake up right after we land. We get out and we go to the place that we wanted to be as rental car as fast as we possibly come and then go to the beach. I want to be at the beach. I don't care about all the journey to get there. Get me to the place. And as I've matured with my relationship with Christ, I realize there are some wonderfully beautiful things that happen in the middle of the race. There's some things that you see a certain way and a certain angle and a certain perspective on that can change you when you get to the destination. And what I've found is, as I've gotten to the destination, it wasn't nearly as fun as I thought it'd be. I had to enjoy the journey a little more. This, um, this, the, these few verses here in this passage in Ephesians is a very big challenge for us because I think there's multi-layers of what we could be dealing with in this message. It may not be just one thing. Some of us may have distractions from our past, things that we have kept alive that we need to put down and put to death. Some of us may be living with regret, trying to walk forwards, backwards, and are missing the things that God is trying to give us. Some of us might be consuming a lot of the old stuff, and it might be impacting us as we try to make, make a run, but we didn't realize how much that consuming the wrong thing was going to impact our race. But whatever that is, I believe that the Spirit of God has something for you today and something that you can See, understand, and change for your benefit, the long-term benefit of keeping us facing forward in the direction where Jesus is calling us from and achieving the heavenly prize.